The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. about cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. My name is Linda House. I'm the Executive Vice President of External Affairs here at the Cancer Support Community, and I am filling in today for Kim Tildo, who is our President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. She'll, she will be back with us next week. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered in over 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Today's show is sponsored in part by Celgene, Lilly Oncology, and Onyx. March is Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities Awareness Month. An estimated 4.6 million people in the United States have an intellectual or developmental disability. About 1.5 million people in the United States alone will be diagnosed with cancer this year, and this number certainly includes people with disabilities. Studies show that people with disabilities tend to to be less healthy overall than the general population, but typically not because their disability is medically linked to a higher risk of certain conditions. Rather, there are other barriers that people with disabilities face when they try to get the care they need. So on this episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer, we thought we would explore the unique challenges of people with intellectual or developmental disabilities, their caregivers, and their healthcare teams as they as, as they approach the, the issues of cancer prevention, screening, and treatment. Joining us today is Leon Murphy. She has her Master's of Science in Nursing and is an RN. Um, Leon is a nurse practitioner at the ARC of New Jersey and has developed many health resources for the New Jersey State Chapter of the National Disability Organization, the ARC. Thank you for being here, Leon. Thank you. And also here with us is Robin Blanchard, RN, and Health and Wellness Instructor for the, uh, the ARC of Gloucester in New Jersey. Robin is the lead RN in the ARC's Health Meet Project, and she has had several patients at her chapter that she's cared for and supported through their cancer journeys. Also, thank you for joining us, Robin. Thank you very much. And finally, we are thrilled to have uh, join us Karen Lucan, who is the retired project director of the North Carolina Office of Disability and Health. Karen was instrumental in developing a unique educational project for women with disabilities called the Women Be Healthy Project, and she has extensive experience in women's health, particularly around breast cancer. Welcome to you, Karen. Thank you. So let's get started with a few questions for you, and I'm just wondering if, Leon or Robin, you could start with a brief description.
section of the ARC. Yeah, this is Leon. I would be glad to. Um, the ARC movement started about 60 years ago by a group of parents who were looking for to develop services for their young children who had all types of disabilities. Um, and in each state, they're run a little bit differently. Here in New Jersey, we have each county has their own ARC, but in other states like Connecticut and Massachusetts, it could be a town or a city that has developed their own ARC. Generally, the focus is the same. They focus on day programming, um, group homes for residential support services, recreational support services, and job coaching. Great. Thank you. Um, so, Leon, let me, let me just point a question directly at you. You know, today we're talking about how cancer impacts people with um, IDD, or intellectual and developmental disability. So... Could you give our listeners a definition of intellectual or developmental disability and what kind of conditions, you know, would fall into those categories? Certainly, certainly. Um, the definition of someone who has IDD or intellectual developmental disability means that the person has a mental or physical impairment or a combination of both. Um, this, these impairments occurred before the age of 22. So this is something that started at birth or early in their developmental years. It's a permanent condition. There is no, basically going to be no improvement or the condition is not going to go away. Um, and these impairments result in substantial function limitations in three or more of the following areas. The first is self-care, so that would be like activities of daily living, language or speech, um, their learning abilities as far as school and education, mobility, their capacity to live independently and be financially self-sufficient. The most common conditions we see are Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, visual impairment, hearing impairments, epilepsy, and, of course, autism. Thank you. And then, you know, Robin, you, you gave us a, a bit about, of an overview about the ARC. Um, and so, so what are ways in which the organization serves people with IDD? Well, um, the ARC cluster, uh, our mission statement explains what we do um, as um, our own, for our own region. Um, we're a team of caring people motivated to help individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. We also help their families reach their highest potential through advocacy, education, and quality services. Uh, the ARC uh, offers many services. We have 16 group homes. We have six day programs that the individuals can um, attend. We, one of our group homes is a medical group home, uh, serving the more uh, medically, uh, in, in, I'm not going to say impaired, uh, the individuals involved. with more <laughs> medically involved needs, like maybe they have a G-tube, they need to get medications and feeding through G-tubes and they can't eat by mouth, or maybe they require oxygenation or more medical services. Uh, we also have a Camp Sun and Fun, which is wonderful uh, for all age groups. And um, from June till August, individuals can come out and have a vacation, and their families can go away and do their thing, and, and their loved one can have a great time and enjoy their own vacation. Um, it's wonderful. And we have a respite program and a lot of support services and even a family intervention program. 
So it sounds like you do direct care to the patient, but then also supportive services or respite for the families, and then maybe a little intervention along the way, psychosocial intervention, I'm assuming, or do you deliver direct medical care? Yes, we do, yes. Uh, at our medical group home, yes, we do. And um, and if the individual comes to our camp and needs any medical, has any med- medical requirements, we do have a nurse at our camp during the summer as well. And I'm an RN overseeing the Special Needs Day program, which is our day program for individuals who have uh, more medical needs as well. Um, we also have a lot of other things going on, like fun activities, social, group, social groups, um, social club, uh, the Health Meet Project. Um, I don't know if you want me to talk about that. Um, we, yeah, I certainly do. I'm going to go into that with you during one of the next segments, so absolutely. Okay. Um, do you want me to go into that later? Um, go ahead. Why don't we go ahead and go into that now since we're here? Tell us about oh, that. Oh, okay, the, great. The I don't want to jump ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're uh, fine. I'm just kind of excited. We offer a lot of yeah. things, and the Health Meet Project is my very exciting well, it's not mine, but I, I get so into it, I feel like it's mine. Um, it's the ARC Gloucester has uh, made a huge commitment to Health Meet, which is a new project of the ARC, funded by the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And Health Meet brings together chapters of the ARC, health professionals, doctors, nurses, and, a, and we all study health to help people with IDD, intellectuals with developmental disabilities, live healthier, longer lives. Uh, we do this by offering free health assessments for individuals with intellectual disabilities. We also help people to find the proper health care services with proper referrals and to help them to learn about making healthier choices, um, teach about the food plate, healthy exercise. Um, we have really neat handouts that um, the Ark of New Jersey created. Uh, let's talk about health they are. It's health screenings that detect prostate cancer and lifestyle choices that can reduce uh, the risk of developing it. Uh, we also have health screening and that health screening modules that detect colon cancer and lifestyle choices that may help reduce the risk of developing colon cancer and also breast cancer. Um, so we try to teach our individuals, their families, their support people, and anyone that is involved and what we call in our ARC family because we want education is the key to a healthier life for everyone. Um, we have free online classes on health topics. Um, health Meet also offers monthly webinars that are free and they're very good. If anyone's ever interested in getting uh, getting involved in a free webinar with Health Meet, just visit www.thearc.org slash healthmeet, all in lowercase. Um, we also have local training sessions for health professionals, medical students, and direct care providers, so we can teach them the protocol for doing these health assessments and then um, pre- providing the proper referrals so these individuals get the help they need that is often overlooked. 
And so just one more time before we go to a commercial break, could you repeat the website? And I want to make sure that you're clear that the ARC is spelled A-R-C um, for the listeners. So could you, uh, could sure. you give that, well, that website one more time for Health Meet, and then we will go to a commercial break. Okay. It's www.thearcarc.org, O-R-G, slash Health And Health Meet is all one word, lowercase. And we have several resources um, that you can take advantage of online. It's wonderful. You can get involved in the screening events, our health and wellness events, the free webinars, and um, products that you need sent out to you, educational pieces. um, And it's really a good thing. Great. Thank you so much. And we have got to take a quick commercial break. We will be back with more on this topic after the break. This segment is sponsored in part by ASI, Genentech, and Amgen. We will see you right after the break. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. in part by ASI, Genentech, and Amgen. My name is Linda House. I'm the Executive Vice President of the Cancer Support Community, and I am joined today by Leon Murphy from the ARC of New Jersey, Robin Blanchard from the ARC of Gloucester, and Karen Lucan, who is a retired project director of the North Carolina Office of Disability and Health. And Karen, I wanted to start this segment with you as we're talking about individuals with um, intellectual or developmental disabilities. According to the ARCS website, 45% of people with an intellectual or developmental disability report that they are not satisfied with how their health care is provided. And also, 40% of people with IDD who have public insurance plans do not have a primary care physician. So can you just comment on why this medical care in general or why medical care in general um, might be such an issue for this special population? I think many of your listeners could identify with the reality that healthcare is a very complex and fragmented system and that people receive care in different places from different providers, that medical appointments are often time-limited and somewhat rushed, and those features make it challenging sometimes for the patient with an intellectual and developmental disability, their family member, and the provider to effectively work together. Some healthcare professionals tend to focus on the person's disability rather than their age, their potential health risks, and that leaves out then some of the recommended cancer screenings that perhaps should be addressed for that person. Um, Some individuals with IDD have difficulty with their communication skills. Their means of communication may be different from what the physician or nurse or medical assistant is accustomed to, and so the ability to talk about their health problems concerns or symptoms in a traditional appointment may be difficult for all of the partners in that experience. Some individuals may have a hard time recalling their health history or may not actually know their family history, family risks, and that limits perhaps how the physician or nurse may think about recommended screenings. And many health professionals do not receive adequate education about people with disabilities across the life course and thinking about the person with a disability from a strengths and abilities and needs perspective, what they may learn is the diagnosis and the deficits or potential complications, but not thinking about the person in terms of a holistic approach and how does this person age over time and how do I assist them with being healthy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so, so generally speaking, if you were to, you know, the, if you were to grade healthcare teams in, in, in the, the job that they're doing serving patients with disabilities, particularly when it comes to cancer screening and treatment, um, what, what, what comment would you make? I think it's a mixed picture. I think that some individuals have been fortunate to find a medical home or a health home that does a good job of integrating care and coordinating services, but that many individuals have not yet received that high-quality care. Um, I think some professionals have more 
experience or at times may get stuck with some of the stereotypes and are not sure how to provide accommodations and assistance to people. Um, I think research has shown that individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities, as you said, do have poorer health across many indicators, and that cancer screening rates are often lower for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. What we've seen in our Women Be Healthy program is that if the woman has a difficult appointment, isn't sure what's going to happen, can't tolerate the typical cancer screening, the healthcare team may back off and be unsure how to solve that problem. And what happens then is the screening is dropped and not pursued and therefore not completed. And so then the woman begins to have an experience of not getting that screening. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes residential programs, as the other speakers have talked about, have a focus on health, the agency regulations zero in on that, but that sometimes individuals and families are struggling on their own to figure out how to push for, how to advocate for recommended screenings. That's interesting. Uh, Leon, let me ask you, we know that early detection saves lives. So in addition to what we've just heard from Karen, what are some of the other obstacles um, when it comes to cancer screening for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities? Yeah, I think people with IDD experience discrimination because of their disability. It's similar to ageism when older adults, you know, from the generic population go for screenings. Everything's kind of, oh, you're, you know, you're getting older and um, doctors don't take them quite as seriously. This happens also with the disability um, issues. They think this is related to their um, either intellectual or developmental disability. Um, so we have to educate healthcare providers to go beyond that. I think many of the IDD population is denied access to comprehensive health care because of their reimbursement issues associated with their insurance. Um, Many of them are on Medicaid, and many physicians are not willing to um, accept Medicaid, number one, or to deal with someone who does have communication problems, transportation issues, and other complex conditions such as the seizures or may have a, a mental health problem as well and manage all of those um, various conditions. Sometimes there can also be guardianship issues. Um, The person, you know, is considered their own guardian no matter how disabled they are at age 18 unless the family or the state has gone to get guardianship of the issue. So if procedures are needed, biopsies or any type of surgical procedure, you know, there has to be this ability to consent and getting the the proper consent. Um, also, the ability to cooperate, you know, with the procedures. You know, I, I think Karen touched on it. You know, if, if they're, for example, having to go for a mammogram for screening, are they able to um, get up out of a wheelchair? Does the facility have equipment that can be lowered down for someone who can't stand? Um, so education is really, really important. And then also, you know, Karen had mentioned the family history. Most of our individuals do not know their family history. Um, and that is a very important piece so that, for example, if they had a, you know, first-degree relative that had a cancer diagnosis, it would be important to know that so the screenings could begin earlier. 
Mm-hmm. So, Robin, can you pick up on that comment about family histories? So, you know, we we do know that a complete family history is important. And, um, you know, I'd just like for you to piggyback on the comment that Leon made. What is the challenge for people with IDD to secure their family history? Well, it's been it's, – it's such a tough situation because a lot of our individuals aren't even coming from their own homes or have never been in their own homes and been in other facilities or uh, institutionalized in the past, things like that, and they have a lot of holes in the history. And you kind of piece it together. The more information you get, you try to create a better biography, but it's never perfect. And things pop up later from maybe a distant relative that might visit for some reason at a hospital or found out about something, or maybe when it's too late, unfortunately, at a funeral. But... Um, there's so many holes that it's hard to know what you don't know, um, but it's, it's certainly not enough information. And the individuals themselves are poor historians often, and uh, it's just almost impossible to get all the information that we need. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds, you know, one of the things that we advocate for in the cancer space is having a comprehensive written care plan for for patients, you know, from the point of their diagnosis throughout survivorship. And it sounds certainly like that's something that that is needed in this community as well. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Karen, with screening as well as treatment, consent to perform certain procedures being uh, as important as it is, particularly in vulnerable populations. What are some of the challenges that do arise with permissions and guardianships, as previously mentioned, in people with IDD? And, and, and how are those challenges impacting the health of this population? I think, as the other speakers have indicated, some people have legal guardians. Some people have guardians in terms of someone being an advocate for them. And so informing the healthcare provider of just that basic information is important so that when decisions have to be made, it's clear who the formal or required team is. But even beyond that, just helping the individual have a health advocate, I think, so that they can understand the information presented and make a decision as best they're able to. And so that means providing information in a way that the individual can understand it so that traditional consent forms will not work for most people. They need information in larger print with visual images with shorter paragraphs, with someone reading the information and then helping to clarify if they understand it or explain it in more than one way. Um, I think the individual needs information so they can make a decision and be supported in making that decision. And so that education, as we've talked about, is one really important strategy. Um, I think that As someone else mentioned, looking to the aging community is also helpful in terms of strategies that have helped with people understanding complex information. And then helping the guardian and the family caregiver also understand what's happening so they can support the individual with a disability outside of just that medical appointment setting. And that it's not likely that one appointment will be enough to get the individual to understand the information, the benefits the risks, and being able to make their own decision and understand what's coming next. I think it's a lot of education and support so the person is able to be a partner with the medical team and supported by their family or caregiver. Mm-hmm. And 
Leon, we just have two minutes left in this particular segment. Okay. But if you could just comment briefly on communicating with the healthcare team. So for someone who, you know, who, who really needs to be empowered in either having conversations about screening or they have been diagnosed and they need to have a conversation with their healthcare team about treatment, um, what are some of the, 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 the challenges that you've seen there or what are some of the helpful tools that, that might be available? Yeah, I think one of, you know, in working with um, self-advocates who are people who have some type of, a, of an intellectual or developmental disability, you know, in focus groups, they say the, the one thing that really bothers them the most is when the medical professionals speak to the staff, not to them directly. It causes them to shut down, and I think we need to educate, you know, medical professionals, nursing professionals to speak directly to the person who is the patient. I think another big piece is lack of continuity. Um, many of the IDD population have to go to clinics and they go and they see different doctors every time they're at the, at the clinics. They also are usually accompanied by a staff person, frequently if they live in a group home or a skilled sponsored home. And um, those people are not really able to even manage their own health care, never mind the care of someone else who is dependent on them. So those are some of the cases. I, I did have one young woman who lived in a skilled sponsored home. That is similar to like a foster home where a family will take in one, two, or three developmentally disabled um, people to live with them, and this young woman needed a biopsy. Her sister, who lived out of state, was actually the guardian, and the sister did not even want the woman to go for the biopsy, and it took a lot of effort on our part to work with her to find out what the issue was, and um, it was really that she was afraid that the skilled sponsor was not going to be able to manage the woman if she had a biopsy, and it was malignant and she needed more surgery and that she would lose her placement. So once we were able to reassure her, um, we were able then to begin the procedures, you know, to get this young woman treated. And I think education, education, education is the key piece for everybody. Great. Thank you. We I think it's great the way you discussed how the layers had to be peeled away to get to the reason why someone doesn't give permission, right. the guardian, because we run into the same situation often. Right. Right. And that was Robin. Yes. Great. So, Robin, hang on to that, because I, I, after we go to this commercial break, I want to pick up with that thought, um, if that is all right with you. We, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We will be back right after this commercial break. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support 
from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to today's episode of Friendly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is sponsored in part by AstraZeneca, Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company, and Purdue Pharma. We're talking today about cancer and people who are impacted by intellectual or developmental disabilities. I'm joined today by Robin Blanchard, Leon Murphy, and Karen Lucan, who have been sharing really important insights with us for a special population of individuals. And Robin, I'm going to apologize that I cut you off before at the last break, um, before you had a chance to comment on uh, what Leon had said about communicating with the healthcare team. So would you mind just repeating that for our listeners? Well, I don't remember exactly where for where, but basically what I'm trying to, what I was agreeing with her um, about the problem where we have to peel away the layers when we're talking to a guardian or um, a family member that is, that we need to get the um, permission from in order to continue with testing and uh, procedures, and oftentimes we get blocked because they don't want to sign um, waivers or they don't want to sign consents for procedures or testing um, because they have fears that they may lose services for the individual and the service and the individual may need to go back to them or to another facility or or that maybe they fear that the individual is just going to respond um, emotionally um, in, an, in a negative way to where they wouldn't be able to handle the person. Um, there's so many fears that they have, but when we peel away the layers by meeting as a team, maybe with caseworkers, state guardians, uh, family members, a strong team of staff that really know the individual really well, and the individual themselves, we can troubleshoot and find what's the underlying reason that this individual will not provide, uh, you know, permission or 
um, consent for us to get even the test started or procedures uh, completed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what would normally take just days or weeks would take weeks or months um, for, for you to work through. Oh, definitely, yes. Yeah, yeah. Leon, you've created programs and resources to help people with IDD learn about cancer, reduce their risk, and get the screenings they need. Could you tell us more about what you've been able to accomplish? Yes. Um, I've been working with the ARC of New Jersey for about 20 years, and we've been fortunate enough to get some grant funding. And the very first project we worked on was the Women's Health Project. We developed a workbook and a video, and we actually showed um, a woman going for a mammogram, doing a breast self-exam, and having a pap smear. And um, it was tips to help actually help them to see the whole exam. And we do um, a very visual exam. And I also had started a health clinic in Monmouth County, New Jersey, for people with developmental disabilities. And we had approximately 800 patients. And um, we would use the video to show the woman um, what the exam was going to consist of, show her the instruments. We invited her to bring someone with her who had maybe gone through an exam themselves. They got to pick who they wanted. And then we would show them the video. And sometimes we would only go as far as they would allow us to go comfortably. And then sometimes we'd need to show them the video two or three times. What was great about the video is we could stop it. They could ask questions. And it kind of took the fear out of it. Cancer is a very scary word, um, and this helped to um, make it, uh, you know, not so scary. We also developed some cancer prevention workbooks um, that were, and and I think that um, Robin talked about it in the beginning, in the first segment, um, the breast cancer prevention, prostate, and colon, and I worked with focus groups of individuals, most of them who were attending a sheltered workshop and had um, employment in the community, and we asked that, you know, we emphasized, for example, the family history, and, and they knew that their sister died of cancer or their grandmother or their mother, but they didn't know what type of cancer. And um, they were afraid to ask. And we said, why are you afraid to ask? And they said, because everyone starts crying when we bring it up. So they were afraid um, to bring it up and upset the family. And so we had to work with them on ways that they could work with their own families to get that family history and why it was important to them to, to empower them. Um, so we, these workbooks are all available free of charge from ARC of New Jersey. And, and all you wonderful. have to do. Yes, they're wonderful. They are good. They and so are, all you have wonderful to do is, for anyone, really. Yeah, they're know. very good. They were written in reader-friendly language, and they have a glossary of terms. And we made sure that the self-advocates could, you know, read them and understood them. And, and we put a lot of effort into it. So how do our listeners find them? All they have to do is get in touch with the ARC of New Jersey, um, arcofnewjersey.org, and um, it's as simple as that, and it will have, like, educational materials, and they can just log in and get them free of charge. Great. Yeah, Great. Thank you. www.arcnj.org. Right. Yep. Arcnj.org. Yep. Could I mention Great. something about mammograms, too? Yeah, Sure. Okay, uh, when you brought that up, I I just thought one of the obstacles, sometimes we have to take one of our individuals, we, we call our individuals consumers, they chose mm-hmm. that name, rather mm-hmm. than client or patient or whatever. Um, they 
often take up to three times just to get to get through a full mammogram because right. they start, they're embarrassed or they're scared or it hurts or they're just full of anxiety and they're screaming. It depends on the individual, and it can take up to three times. And um, it's, it's, these aren't you go in, you get it done, and then you move on. Each individual is so different individualized, of course, mm-hmm. and the plan has to be so individualized that it may take five steps just to get to, right. to the first two steps. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, so Karen, maybe this is a good time for, for us to, to turn to you to speak a little bit more about the Women Be Healthy program. You've developed programs specifically around the topic of cancer and particularly for women. Could you just maybe give us a little bit more information about that? Sure. The Women Be Healthy program was originally developed at Ohio State University and then the North Carolina Office on Disability and Health took it on and has worked with it over many years and made revisions to it based on evaluation studies. And it's designed specifically for women with intellectual and developmental disabilities to be a comprehensive health education program that zeroes in on cervical and breast cancer screening because we know women are getting screened less often and similar to what's been described about the Arc of New Jersey approach, it's designed to help women learn what is cancer, that it is treatable but needs to be diagnosed and found and that that's done through some very specific screenings. What are those screenings? What happens during those appointments? Secondly, to learn how to cope with those appointments. So we have a specific focus on relaxation skills so that the women can manage their anxiety and tolerate the appointments. And then thirdly, to know how to talk about their health, how to know when something is different or unusual or not normal for them, and to be able to ask questions and talk directly with the healthcare provider. So the Women Be Healthy curriculum is 22 hours of class time and designed to be taught in one-hour class segments twice a week over 11 weeks. It uses a lot of repetition and a lot of hands-on learning activities, one of which is the Arc of New Jersey video, which is extremely helpful because it shows women what will happen As the speakers have said, you can stop it and start it as needed so the women can take the information in in small pieces. We also do field trips so that the women go to a mammography facility so that they can have that gradual exposure, practice the relaxation skills in the mammography waiting room, the dressing room. There's a second field trip to a doctor's or medical clinic office since that's where you would also be getting some of the cervical cancer screenings. And so the whole approach is to take information, break it down into pieces, a lot of repetition, jobs for health so that the women are practicing their relaxation skills at home, gathering information from their family, finding out when they had their last mammogram so that the women have a chance to learn. And the goal is that they use that information to improve their own screening rates so that they are getting the quality care that all women are entitled to. And um, is there a place where our listeners could go to learn more about Women Be Healthy? Yes. You can get the entire Women Be Healthy curriculum. It's available at Brandeis University, B-R-A-N-D-I-E-S University. 
specifically the Lurie Institute for Disability Policy, which is L-U-R-I-E Institute, and there's a link to the Women Be Healthy on that um, homepage. You'll see the curriculum. You'll see a number of the research articles. There will be linked to some YouTube videos that were produced by women with developmental disabilities in our project talking about why screening is important, how the Women Be Healthy classes are helpful, um, what you should do to help yourself get through those screening appointments. Um, so, And also if you do a Google search of Women Be Healthy, it will take you to the Brandeis University Lurie Institute. Great. Thank you. Uh, Robin, just a, a question for you in the two minutes we have before we move to our final segment. But cancer is a disease that comes with large social and emotional impact, and our research has shown that three-quarters of patients have, you know, significant levels of distress as, as a part of their cancer experience. Um, when you think about your patients and just the, the, the day-to-day challenges that they might have with their intellectual and developmental disabilities, do you also see additional distress placed on them when they have a cancer diagnosis? Yes. Uh, that The fear of the unknown is there to a larger degree than it would be for us, uh, even though if one of us had cancer, we'd have the fear of the unknown while well, we know what process we might go through, but really what is the outcome going to be? Um, I think the fear of the process, the fear of the unknown, and um, often things worrying about, well, will I get to go to my day program? Sometimes Mm -hmm. the biggest concern is I might not be able to see the people I love and hang out with every day. They don't maybe recognize that once we get through this, you can go back to your day program, or once we get through that, you can go back home after being in a rehab that that is not comfortable for the the changes out of routine is very distressing and um, oftentimes anti anxiety medications may need to be used um, for these reasons. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. And we are going to take a quick break and come back with the final segment of today's show. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, sponsored in part today by McKesson's Giving Comfort Program, Bristol-Myers Squibb, and Morphotech. We'll be right back after this break. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaides, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices. I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking 
talking about cancer. Today's show is about cancer and people with disabilities. We are joined today by Robin Blanchard from the ARC in Gloucester, Leon Murphy from the ARC, New Jersey, and Karen Lucan, who is the former project director for the North Carolina Office on Disability and Health. And we've been learning about um, specific challenges and needs and requirements for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities as it relates to cancer and cancer screenings. Robin, you spoke, I think in the first segment, a bit about a program called HealthMeet. So can you be a little bit more specific about the goals of this initiative and what are the kinds of things that um, are being accomplished or delivered through HealthMeet? Sure. Um, basically, um, we're trying to find the healthcare disparities uh, recognize differences and refer individuals to get the proper care that they need for uh, some, uh, for an abnormal finding. Um, we we check their eyes, we check their ears, and their hearing. Um, we do visual, you know, assessments. We check their lung, the individual's lungs. Um, they are able to say if they have chest pain or anything, any discomfort in all these areas. Um, they have oral assessments done and, off, and also feet um, and skin. So in the process when we're looking at all these areas, doing a head-to-toe assessment, um, we, we can find something. For example, maybe a mole that doesn't look right, even though that's not necessarily what they're getting a part of the assessment, we may see a mole when we're looking at their feet, and we may find that mole suspicious and send them to a dermatologist for a referral, and they may find out that that, that it is not, it's not a good finding, um, that they need further treatment and possibly an excision uh, or it may have potential for metastasis and, you know, it's, it may be, be malignant. Um, we can find things going wrong with any area. Um, uh, the foot is, is a big area. What, one thing, um, we are often covered. Our feet are covered. And mm -hmm. they come to a day program, and maybe they're not, they're living at home, they're working in a day program where they're doing lawns and things like that, but their feet are always covered. And during this assessment, they may take their... They, if they opt to participate, take their shoes and socks off, and we find that the toenails are well overgrown, mm -hmm. and maybe they have a fungus, um, they need podiatry, or they have diabetes and they haven't been attending to the foot care and their teeth, their um, toes are blackened. I mean, we have issues like that. We've found skin issues um, that needed further um, care and treatment. We've found out when we're doing these assessments, even though we're not looking at um, genitalia by any means, they'll point to an area and say, this really hurts. And then we send them to a gynecologist and we find out that they have something going on that requires treatment, a diagnosis mm -hmm. that requires treatment. So this has been an amazing um, assessment tool. This helps me screening event. Um, events have been just great for us to recognize signs and symptoms uh, that are being covered or, uh, for lack of a better word, just kind of masked by individuals that don't recognize certain 
things. They're sure. not in tune with their, their touch, the feel, and, and they don't recognize certain discomforts. They're, maybe their pain tolerance is different. Maybe their comfort levels are different. But we just recognize um, a lot of disparities and help them get the health care services they need by just simply sending them to a PC primary care physician, a mm-hmm. specialist, or um, a dentist. And it changes their life for the better, for sure. Yeah. It's yeah. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. That's an incredible program. This is um, Karen. Leon, you... uh, oh, go ahead. This is Karen. I work with the ARC of North Carolina in our health meet, and I think in addition to the screenings, the health meet is a really good chance to see what people know about their health, and by asking them questions about have they have a mammogram, a woman may not know what that is or have had a bad experience and she's not returned. So even if the health meet doesn't do the actual mammogram screening, it's a chance to find out what the woman knows, what her comfort level is, and as the speakers have said, then to help with that referral back to this is an area that for other women of your age would be taken care of. How do we make sure that happens? So I think the Health Meet does a good job of screening and serving as a gateway to education and follow-up screening and medical appointments. And, and Robin, one more time, please give the listeners the web address for Health Meet. Okay. It's www.thearc.org slash healthmeet in lowercase, all one word. And please do Great. visit. H-E-A-L-T-H-M-E-E-T. Yes. Great. Thank you. Leon, talk to us as a parent to someone with a disability. What would you like other parents and caregivers to know about cancer prevention, education, and medical medical care in general for individuals living with a disability? Yes, I have a daughter, um, Michelle, who's 40 years old, and she has Down syndrome. And I think the biggest um, gift I have given her was to empower her. And I would urge everyone to empower the consumers. Give them as much information as possible. Um, encourage them to get their family history, to know the risk factors for cancer. And if at all possible, to take them with you if you're going for some type of a treatment. If you're going for a mammogram, bring them along with you so they can see what's involved. Um, and to teach them to ask for exams if they're not done. For example, um, they should, as part of their yearly physical, they should get a breast self-exam by their primary care physician or their nurse, and if they don't get that, they should ask for that, in addition to teaching them to do their own breast self-exams. Thank you. And, you know, Leon, I'll just ask you to stay on this uh, on this topic a little bit. The cancer support community has a number of support groups and educational workshops and social activities for all people impacted by cancer. I'm just wondering, what are some of the things that we should know as we are serving patients with developmental, developmental disabilities around, you know, ways that we could, we could do a better job of that? Yes. I think many of them have heard horror stories of people who have had cancer, and I think that the biggest thing would be to emphasize the, the progress we've made, talk about the success stories, new treatments, um, and prevention strategies. Great. Thank you. And Karen, I am going to go to you for the last question, and that is, where can people find more resources on how, how to stay healthy if either they or their loved ones has an intellectual or developmental disability? 
I think the ARC, um, the National ARC website, is a really valuable resource. It will have links to Health Meet, which, as we've said throughout this show, um, is developing a number of very valuable resources for consumers, for family members, direct support staff. So I would certainly say the ARC website, um, I know that they're developing something with um, called IDD Health Training, and that link will be available on the ARC website. I also think that the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center has some really valuable healthcare toolkit resources, um, and so I would encourage people to check that out. And also Quality Mall. It's a shopping center, as it were, that exists in the electronic world that has an array of resources for people with disabilities. And so I would suggest... Um, using those three as starting points, um, but particularly the ARC website, I think, is designing itself to be the gateway to many very valuable health resources for individuals, families, and professionals who support people with disabilities. Great. Thank you. And for our listeners, that website is www.thearc.org. So, Leon, Robin, and Karen, thank you so much for being with us on today's show to talk about cancer and, in particular, people with IDD, intellectual and developmental disabilities. Thank you for the work that you're doing to help this population live well and to be healthy. And, uh, you know, on behalf of, of our listeners, we appreciate you raising our awareness to some of the things that we could, uh, we could do better to serve this uh, very, very special population. To all of our listeners, thank you for joining us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I am Linda House, filling in today for Kim Tebledo, the President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, who will be with us next week. The Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person, online, and over-the-telephone support. If you or someone you know is faced with a cancer diagnosis, you do not have to do it alone. For more information about our programs, please visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org to find a location near you or call our toll-free helpline at 1-888-793-9355 to speak with a licensed mental health professional Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Support